It is good to see you guys. Brothers and sisters, welcome. Praise God. Happy Mother's Day. And fathers, happy Mother's Day too. Because you have a mother and that's great. Praise God. Today we're going to look at a special passage. And for men, please don't check out mentally. It's like, okay, that's not for me. It's about mothers or about women's. But it would be beneficial, beneficial for all of us because the passage is in the Word of God. And it is a great privilege for us that God take care of us by teaching us how to act, how to behave, how to be in our roles to bring most glory to Him. Open with me Titus chapter 2. We'll read first five verses, but our attention would be chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Very short passage, lots of stuff in it. So be with me. You know, we're going to go quickly. Lord's willing. The name of this sermon, Women's Sacred Calling. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a woman, a mother, a sister, it's a great privilege. It is a great privilege to be a woman of God. Read with me and we pray. Paul, in addressing the church in Crete, gave instruction to every individual there and different people and group of people. He gives to the elders. He gives to the Titus. He also gives instruction to the older men, to older women, younger women, younger men, slaves, and so on. Why? The point is that he wants us to model the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do good works that by our behaving according to the gospel, we could proclaim the gospel to the outsiders. And that they would be amazed at our faith. And they would ask us and would say, how in the world you have been changed? Chapter 2 says, but us for you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossip, nor enslave too much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, Workers at home kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, and we submit to your word. We're submitting right now to the word of God, the holy word of God that was designed for our souls to restore, to change, and to bring glory to God. Oh, help us to take it in. Give us clarity and wisdom not only to understand, but most importantly, to apply it. Pray in Christ's name, amen. I know many don't think of a woman as a glorious creature. Have you heard this statement, she's just a woman? What do you take? She is just a woman. And willingly or not, this is the phase that we live in in our day and age. Around the globe, people don't really treat women with honor. You know, women don't treat themselves with honor also, often. 
often they want something else than what God designed for them. Men don't naturally think of woman as a glorious creature for God's glory, but we must renew our mind to think biblically of what God designed woman to be. And when I speak of woman's high calling in life, women themselves sometimes think, oh, you just have trick us. You have a trick for us, a chauvinist idea to get us pregnant and barefoot and working at home and call it so glorious that we will trick us for your own benefit. But this is not so. This is the machine, the feminist machine that, that prone and teach us, a young man, young woman to think this way. Remember, the chauvinists or the men with corrupt mind did not create role for the woman. God did. It wasn't man's idea to create a woman. It was God's idea. It came from God. So dear woman, understand today that you have a glorious role and great privilege to be a woman and privilege to relate to God and to people in the way you've been formed. Now, you might feel like, you say, well, that is all glorious talk and that's all good, but I don't feel glorious today. I'm very tired, especially if you're mom, if you have a couple of kids. I read this Instagram post, obviously written by mom, stay-home mom, saying this, I am not an early bird, nor I am a night owl, but I'm some sort of form of permanently exhausted pigeon. Maybe you feel this way, maybe you're tired, maybe you're running out of patience, maybe you experience numbness in your soul, but be encouraged today. God created you and saved you for a very satisfying purpose in life. I want to show you from this text basically three points, three words. Number one, a godly woman can be a powerful tool for God and his gospel. She could be gospel model if she understands that she's privileged to be a woman. Number one, God created you a woman. It is a privilege. Take it this way. Number two, you have an influential position, a very influential position in society, in family, in the church. Often society fell because women fell. The church falls before, because women fell, and family falls because women fell. They don't use their position. It is very, very privileged position, but it's also influential position. And number three, you have to get your priorities straight. Three things, privilege, Position and priorities. All of them determined by God. Now, first point comes from the observation from just general principles in the Bible. And you see that when Titus addressing these women, he puts them right in the middle. You notice this in verse 1 and 2, he addresses older men. And then in verse 5, verse 6 to 8, he addresses younger men. But who does he put right in the middle? Right in the center. Right in the center of your household, he put older women and younger women. They are an important part of the society and very, very influential. And God says that you are most precious in God's eyes as a woman. Now, there are many obstacles for us to think this way. Gender distinction is under attack today. The wicked world is trying to erase this distinction between male and female. Call it a useless representation of the past. The attack on sexuality has muddied the waters of what true feminine, femi feminist, uh, femininity is. Today, many young girls 
are developing a hatred to a biblical definition of what woman's supposed to be. Under the banner of liberation from this oppression for men and family, they are pushed to redevelop the idea of what woman supposed to be. I'll read you this quote by Andreas uh, Kostenberger. He's a commentator. He says this, what until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father, a mother, number of children, has in recent years increasingly begun to be viewed as one of among several options which can no longer claim to be the only or even superior form of ordering human relationship. But I want to tell you this, that God created you as a woman. And first of all, a godly woman has her relationship with God. God is talking to you in the Bible as the one who being touched by the gospel and being redeemed by God. The first Peter 3, 5 intensifies this idea saying, for in this way, in former times, the holy woman also who hoped in God. A woman is a creation of God, first and foremost, for her relationship, not with her husband, not with her children, and not with the society, but with God. Holy women, first and foremost, put their trust and hope, not in their husband or in the husband to get, but in God. You're God's woman, not men's in the first place. The degrading view of women is when we see them as our belongings, as the one who brings our ple as pleasure or work for us. But Peter goes on and saying, men, live with your wives in understanding way that she is a co-heir of eternal life, co-heir with you and co-heir with Christ. A woman was created not just in the first place to be part of the society, but part of God's society. He created her for herself to represent him in very special way. Very special way. When God created man and, and female, and male and female, he created them in his image. And female represent God and his nature in some sort of way, different way than man. In a sense, she is a woman. She created as a woman, not just as a human. When God is talking and teaching us, he gives us different roles, how we could represent the Trinity in the society. When he talks to the husbands, he said, love your wife as Christ loved his church. And then when he talks to the wives, he said, wives as a church is subject to Christ, so also wives to your own husbands in everything. We represent God from different standpoint. And God not only created you for his purposes in relationship with him, he also understands you. He knows you. He understands a woman. For us, it's a wicked vessel, but for God, it's a vessel created by God. Whatever you in life, God knows you totally. Where you are with all your emotions and with all your hormones, he's your creator, he's your redeemer. He created you in his image. And then, not only he created for himself, he created to be a helper. We know that. When we talk about women, we know immediately that's a different gender, but he was created for a different purpose than man. Created to help a man. Again, when we're talking about weaker vessel, we think about, oh, someone that needs help constantly, but woman was created to help a man. You know, when I have some need of, of, need of some help and I can't lift the couch, I call my wife. I can't do it all. I need a helper. 
That doesn't mean that she's stronger than me. But in many ways, God designed her in, you in a different way. And it's a privilege to represent God as a woman. As a woman. You know, I would not be a man I am today without having privilege of a helper by my side. I would not go to seminary, and I would definitely not finish it, if not my wife. But the church is yours, ladies, sisters, mothers. The church is yours. What are you going to do with this privilege? Are you going to forfeit it, redefine the privilege to be a woman after God's own heart? And you're going to go to the workplace and establish a name for yourself, or whatever you're going to do. And we'll talk about this a little, little bit later. But understand in your heart that first of all, you were created for God, by God, for the special purpose to represent Him. Do you cherish the privilege to be a woman? Just to be a woman, a godly woman, is already preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, godly woman could be a powerful representation, a model of the gospel, a great powerful preacher, if she understands who she is, and she take it as a privilege. Number two, and we go back to the text now, in verses three, we'll see that number two, a godly woman understand her position, influential position. You have a very influential position in the home, in society, and so to speak, in the universe. And Paul mentions in, under this position, influential position, four simple things. Number one, he starts that you are supposed to be a reverend. You see, verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behaviors. God expects from a woman who has relationship with God, being saved by Jesus Christ, being touched by the gospel, that she would be in reverence of him. Her influential position in home starts with her reverence before God. Now, this word is very interesting. The word reverence comes from the word priest. And the position that God gives you, it would be like a priestess in the house. MacArthur says this, the word has the root meaning of being priest-like and came to refer to that which is appropriate to holiness. Now, in your reverence, you're not a priest, you're not in a temple, but it is like you're walking and waking up every morning like you woke up in a temple and you are the representative of God. What was the most important thing for priests to do? Among all the duties, he is the representative of God. If you go to the bar, you would find much of God over there. But if you go to the temple, you should. You should look at the priest and say, well, God is holy. He is mighty, beautiful, glorious. And this man who represents him reflects his character. Women, mothers, you're representing God in your home. Everywhere you are, you're representing God as a priest before your children. Now, God, Paul says not only just by character or just in some idea, but you should do that in your behavior. That's what it says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behaviors, not just an idea, but in behaviors. When you wake up, you're reverent before God. When you go back to sleep, you're reverent. One could be reverent as a pastor or reverent or a pastor or priest in a position, but be a devil-like in his life. A priest must demonstrate his holiness. And a wife, as always, is not just a mediator, but a representative and keep people in check and in her family. I like to read about Martin Luther and uh, Katharina von Bora. 
there's an amazing story of their lives, and, and Luther developed his uh, idea of marriage as he got married. He thought that it's not, not so glorious, it's just a burden to carry. But as he get to know what the biblical definition of marriage, he in love with the idea of marriage, and he would say, oh, that's the glorious and the most blessed thing that man could experience. But check this out, the Katarina was every, in every way, was a proverb 31 woman, tender as silk when husband and children needed encouragement, and tough as a leather when both got out of line. It's interesting. One time, when Luther was in deep depression, she dressed like a widow and went outside. He asked her, who died? And why she's going to, uh, she's going to the funeral? And she said, well, yes, you're acting like God died. So I came out to mourn with you. She, he was healed from his depression momentarily. We know about a woman in the, in the Bible, Anna, illustrated the virtue of reverence before God. It says about her, having been a widow to the age of 84, she had never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and pray, prayers. She was not a priest, but it exhibit the characteristics and the reverence before God. Sisters, mothers, wives, do you know your precious value? Do you understand your precious position? You are the priestess to your kids. They would not know God unless you represent God before them. You must, you must preach Jesus to your kids, preach Jesus to your husband, both in speech and by model. Many women forfeit that today. Virtue of reverence and unfortunately become more like a prostitute than a priestess. Howard Hendrick said this, if your Christianity does not work at home, it does not work. Do not export it. It starts here. It starts at your home. You understand your value before God. You understand what God wants to do with your position. It's an influential position as a priest would be influencing people in the, in, in the land. But the next thing he said here, so under this position, there are four things. Number one, that you should be reverent. Number two, that you should not be devil-like. Now, why would he put not to be malicious slanderers right to the priest? Well... There are probably a couple of reasons, but there's a connection with the gossip and the bringing information. As a priest in the temple, he got, he got to hear a lot of stuff. People come and bring the sacrifices and tell them about the sins. Older women, sometimes they get to hear a lot of information from younger women as they talk, come and they grumble and they say about their husbands and about their children and how life is. And the older women has to take it as a priest to the Lord instead of just spreading it around. Instead of just gossiping around and telling, well, yeah, she's that and he's that, you talk to God. When a person brought the sacrifice to a priest, and there's a sacrifice being made, he prays to God. He does not slander. And it's interesting that he said malicious gossip. The word here, may diabolos, diabolos, meaning like devil, diabolos. And it's exactly what it is. You should not be devil-like. We are devil-like when we take the information and spread it around to hurt people. Now, what does this gossip mean anyway? We talk about gossip, do not gossip, do not gossip. What is this gossip? Let me just clarify uh, clearly, uh, quickly. Gossip involves two things, intent and extent. The devil uses information to twist it and to hurt a person. He uses everything to separate friends from one to in, uh, and another. He's the accuser. 
He twists the truth, he represents one side of the story and makes the person look bad. So when you share the information, any information with someone else, ask yourself this question, why am I telling this? Why am I telling this? To hurt or to help? Intent, and number two, extent. Not everybody is supposed to know about what you are dealing with. Not everybody. You could talk to God. Sometimes you have a privileged information that should not be shared without approval. And you can just babble around. You just cannot talk about this with anybody else. And there's a good principle. If you're not part of the problem, or you're part of the solution, don't talk about it. If you're not part of the problem, you can't, it's not happening to you. It's not part of the solution. You can't do nothing about it. Just don't talk. Talk to God. Proverbs 18, 7 and 8 says, A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And Paul understanding this, that older women has this tendency, unfortunately, in other passage in 1 Timothy 5, he says that there's another group of older women or widows have this tendency because they have a lot of time, perhaps, and there's a lot of people who come for wisdom. But instead of coming to God, talking to God, they just start talking. He said, do not be devil-like. You be reverent before God, and you talk to God about people's problem, not to people. And the third thing he said, in your position, you have to use your position, influence position. It's not using me time all the time. She's not a drunkard. Don't be a drunkard. Don't be enslaved too much wine. And it says like, well, okay, it doesn't apply to us. We don't maybe, well, a glass of here, a glass over there. But, you know, again, connecting to the priest. Priest should not drink wine or strong drink when they are serving. Whenever, whenever, uh, Nadab and Abihu got, got fright, remember that? Many commentators think that they got drunk and they brought the fire, the strange fire, because they didn't clearly understand what happens. Now, whether that is the case or not, later down in the text, in Leviticus 10, it says, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you or nor your sons when you come into the tent of meetings so that you will not die. Now, when are we in the tent of meeting now? We are always in the presence of God. That's the warning. Perhaps women in Crete, they had me time now. They got grown up children, and now they have some freedom. Now they have some pains, aches in the body, and they just turn into bottle that just to kind of cover up their hurt. Do not do that. But instead, in your position, as you're reverent before God, as you're not slandering, talking to God, and you're not just hitting the bottle, you, what do you do? In your position, you teach. That's what it says. She's teaching what is good. She's teaching what is good. Verse 3 says, and the word good is interesting. There's two words for good in Greek, good and beautiful. And this is the beautiful part, the very beautiful thing that you could possibly teach and make younger women beautiful is to teach them the truth. Peter warns us and says in chapter, uh, 1 Peter 3, 3, you are dormant, you uh, not to be merely extern external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Now, we don't dismiss at all. You shouldn't be wearing potato sack for sure. And in fact, that if you do that, that's not a good thing. I mean, women naturally tend for beauty. They like beauty. Look at my Instagram post, there's nothing beautiful. This is rugged stuff. You look at women's posts, it's just like it's a, they're in paradise making pictures. They like beauty, but, but Paul is reminding, look, there is more beautiful thing. Teach them what makes them beautiful internally and forever. 
internally and forever. Teach that. Be beautiful on the inside that their family becomes beautiful. Make them the models of the gospel that their children and their husbands be changed and transformed. A godly woman has a powerful, influential position to shape your family. And by shaping family, the church is shaped and the society is shaped. Number three, a godly woman understands her priorities. She got her priorities straight. Verse four and five. The older woman has to teach something, right? And what they teach, a beautiful thing, what they're teaching, it's spelled out in verse five and four, and there's four things. Four things, there's a priority. If I would put those four together, I would say one word, you have to nurture your family. By teaching, you have to nurture your family. You could make it or break it, your kids. You could make it or break your husband. Let me just illustrate. If I come to home and I have a crazy idea to build a house, let's say someone in place are built. And so, well, honey, we're going to build a house. It's going to be good for the kids. It's great. And if my, my, my wife would say, well, that is the stupidest idea I ever heard. The plants are killed. That's it. The, the wings are cut. That's it. There's nothing happening. But if she said, well, you know what? Maybe there's a better way, and let's just figure it out. I, the dream is still alive. The nurturing part is what the woman's supposed to do. You are the helper. You are the helper to represent God as the helper, to, to bring the gospel to her home, nurturing and strengthening the relationship in the home. Piper said this, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, in nurture strength. Now, sometimes we say, well, that's a strange idea. Where'd you get this? Like, nurture the strength. But she says, nurturing is like nurturing a child. It's feeding, and when you're feeding him, and you get up every morning and every night, five times a night, and change the diapers, what do you do? You're loving them. You're loving them. This is what wife does. This is what mother does. This is what women do. They provide nurturing to people. And he says four things how you provide nurturing. Love your family. Love your family, your husband and your children. Paul says that older women must encourage younger women to love their husbands. When you just get married, it feels like, oh, that's, that's no problem to love this guy. I mean, he's just the best thing ever happened to me. Until a couple of years, and you have a couple of kids, and you, so you start noticing the faults. And they're big, and they're just screaming at you. Right, and then you need an encouragement of an older woman to come and say, well, that'd be okay. You are loving him because Christ loved you and you love Christ in this way. You nurture him, you are shaping him, you are making him. That means encourage younger women, meaning to instill in their brain and their mindset that this is good, this is good. To put the idea in mind as a primary importance. This is your priority in life, your nurturer. And this is where you show this nurture as you love in your family. Love your husband. Love your kids. What does that mean? Well, the word is phileo as you're treating them as a friend and you want to, them to mature. And it both, it's the same word for both uh, children and husband. A wife maturing his husband. As she believes in his dreams, as she corrects him, as she preaches the gospel to him, she nurtures him so that he become a stronger man that he could possibly be. 
If he would say, hey, we're going to move out from here to another place and we plant the church, and she would say no to that, she's not nurturing. But imagine that, that some women stand by the side of people like John MacArthur, John Piper. They are influencing them and nurturing them to do what God calls them to do. She empowers his leadership. This is how wife loves his, his husband. Not only just giving him what he needs to do and clean stuff, but she empowers his leadership. No one wants to follow if there's no desire. No one wants to lead if there's no desire to follow. I'm done as a leader. By supporting and accepting your husband's leadership, you empower him to be man God can tr make him truly be. Believe in your husband's dream, accept his pro uh, proposition. When he comes with the dream, I says, listen, let's do that. Let's say, hey, I believe. Many times when my mom encouraged me to do stuff, I did it. And when she kills it, I didn't. Abraham Lincoln said this, that the way that I am or hope to be, it's all thanks to my angel mom. But also she refines his leadership we become better leaders because of our wife's constructive criticism and loving correction. Man does not know all things. We do not understand every doctrine. We just can't impose on ourselves, okay, we, we study this, we know it. Listen to your wife sometimes. Prisca and uh, Aquila, they corrected Apollos in the way that he should think about Jesus Christ. That was a great example. A godly wife is a truly suitable helper who helps men to be men of God. Let me tell you, even unlovable, uncaring, unfaithful husbands are to be loved. The same goes for unlovable, uncaring, and unfaithful wives who must be loved. How often we see the divorce in, in the families when they simply did not want to support one another. No desire to bear, no desire to forgive, no desire to build relationship. But you're the builder, you're the nurturer. You're building. What do you do when you don't feel love? You go to the older woman and say, well, teach me. Teach me. Encourage me to love. Oh, I wish we would have more older women who went through the phases and raised the kids and that they would teach. Loving your husbands, loving your wives, that's your priority. Number two, exhibit self-control. In verse four says, so you... So that they may be encouraged, young women, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible and pure. Sensible meaning common sense. Improve with age, usually. Things that were important when you were 16 are not so important when you're 60. And so you could come to an older woman and say, well, what's important in life? Can you give me priority straight? What should I do? Self-control and how she spends money, time, energy. And in all of this, a woman must be pure, healthy sense of shame is saying anything and doing anything, dressing in a way that it pleases the Lord. You are the model of Jesus Christ. You are the priestess in the family. You are representing Jesus Christ and you're preaching the gospel by the way you dress. How many times older women come to you, younger girls, and they would say, well, you know what, your skirt is too short. And how do you take it? Usually with offense. Because like, wow, how dare she, she can. But that's exactly what it says here. Be pure. A godly woman checks her own heart first, whether she promotes the gospel. She starts promoting gospel in her home. Number three here, not only that she is having self-control and willingness to learn, but also she makes her home 
a priority. Makes our home a priority. It says work is our home. It's not a popular message. Now, I'm not saying, for sure, not saying, we're not saying that women never, ever could work anywhere else. But as a sphere, as a primary sphere, it's your home. It is your home. It's designed by God this way. Home is your sphere, and kindness is your attitude. Home is your sphere, and kindness is your atmosphere. You're a builder of your home. Home is a sphere. Here, a woman can truly reflect and model the gospel. She has the freedom. She had her own boss here, right? She's working for God, and she represented God. And, and you know, it, it is probably the hardest thing for a modern woman to accept the prior, this priority of her home because when you ask a woman or young girl, what do you want to do? There are all sorts of things that come in, into the mind. Are you satisfied with your homemaking position? That's a good question to ask. Are you satisfied right now? Do you think this is the most privileged position ever? Do you think that is the most influential position that you could possibly have? You know, the feminism constantly tell women to stay home. It's like the concentration, concentration camp. Right, you're staying home, you are just lacking all your abilities. You might feel like you an outlier today when you stay at home. You might have the snare of people, oh, you, are, you stay home mom, wow, sorry. Well, and I'm not talking about widows, I'm not talking when your kids are out of the home, I'm not talking when you're struggling financially, they're all placed when you got yourself in trouble or bought a home that you can't really afford and now you're stuck. I mean, there are places where you, you might need to go and do that. But as a general principle and a priority, home is the sphere when women are representing Christ. Often reaction from young women is to choosing to work outside. You know, a woman goes and just want to get married to a beautiful husband and make her home great and make all the pictures and post it all, the cute little things, and also uh, have a child, right? But then the responsibility comes in. You can't just hire a nanny. You can't just hire this Mennonite woman who would be unattractive but very hardworking in your house and just do the labor for you. It's, it's a job and a privilege for a woman. Right? And we have to accept it, that this is the best influential position that could possibly be. A true fulfillment of woman's potential is found at home. It is hard to believe today, but we have to believe the scripture. He, she is the queen of the house. Let me put it this way. You are the queen of the house. Like I often tell my wife, you are the queen of the house. And she says, yeah, yeah, I understand. That makes you a king, right? That's what you're saying. No, but it truly is, you know, it make, it's, it's an elevated position. The home is the domain, and the kids are the, are the subject. You have the opportunity to shape human life by representing Christ to them. And you're not working for thumbs up. I mean, there are many times when you are so tired, so tired. Let me read you this. You desperately want a nap, but your two-year-old won't go down for hers. Your four-year-old throws a fret because you cut his sandwich into quarters instead of halves. Your nine-year-old has taken to rolling eyes, her eyes at your every request. You're tired. No, you're exhausted. You don't want to, you want to take the bus to the end of the world, but you can't. You feel like you're trapped in your stock. Well, think about this. 
God has placed you to represent Christ to these people. And you're not working for thumbs up. You know, kids will not tell you, it's like, hey, great milk, awesome. Like four, four months old, it's like, man, just keep it up. Right, you changed my diaper, that was really good. Thank you for providing a room for me. They won't do that. They will check out and live and, and go. But that's, you're not, we're not working for these trophies or thumbs up. We're working for God, and we're shaping them. And that is our privilege. But she also, but Paulus also says, when this hard work kicks in and this privilege doesn't feel like a privilege, he says this, he adds this here. When you're a worker, worker at home, be kind. Be kind. I could feel this, that you need a lot of kindness when you work at home. Julie Barnhill, in her book, She's Gonna Blow, says this. Well, the title speaks for itself, right? You can wake up in a good mood, go downstairs, see the messy kitchen, and you're annoyed without anyone doing anything. Sounds familiar? It's hard work. You need a lot of kindness. Paul provides this. He is not a wife, but he has the spirit of God who tells him. He doesn't even have a home. But he knows how we feel. He knows how you feel that sometimes it's super, super hard. But the rewards is from the Lord. And he says, be kind like God kind to you. Do not hold the bottle. Do not just check out and go to a workplace. But serve why the, the husband serve the kids? And number four, the most unpopular thing in this priorities is subject to your own husband. Fourth priority is keeping the order at home. Now it's unpopular, but let me let me just tell you this: when you subject it to your own husband, you know what you're doing really. You're not just being obedient to some little commands in the Bible, just little things like, oh, I'm a being husband, not a being husband. You are keeping the order in the universe. You're the, keep, you're the keeper of order in the universe. Now, that's a big thing, right? It's up to me to keep the order in the universe, and it is true because it says that subject to your husband. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, here's the order of the universe. The Father God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of a woman. That's the order. You mess this up, universe is messed up. That's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They reversed the order. So when you obeying your husband, supporting your husband, nurturing your husband, teaching your kids to love Christ, you are actually keeping the universe running. Now that's a big thing. I hope you're encouraged to do so. Proverbs 14, 1 says that wise woman builds her own house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So that's what Paul wants us to do. Think about your privilege to be a woman. Think about your highly influential position. And think about your priorities. And by this you become the most powerful preacher and model of the gospel. Now, he gives us the reason, what if, what if we don't do that? What if women don't do that? So, okay, that's just old. Here's what happens. So that you keep doing this, the word of God will not be dishonored. 
That is a big motivator factor. That the word of God will not be dishonored. You know, besides that your family would not run smoothly and your marriage might get, get some cracks, the word of God would be dishonored. And the word of God he's talking about here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you don't act like you're supposed to be as a wife and as a husband and as a child, you are dishonoring the gospel because you're misrepresenting it. Misrepresenting it. One philosopher said it well. He said, show me your redeemer. Show me your redeemed life. And, might be, and I might be prone to believe in your redeemer. Show me your redeemed life. And I might be prone to believe in your redeemer. You know, we often seek to make glorious things for God in some unique way. But God gave us a pretty simple task. And he calls it glorious to act in according, act in according to your gender and to your gender role. By simple acting as you were created and for the purpose that you be redeemed, you become a very powerful tool in God's hands. You're shaping next generation. Now, looking back into your life, just think, how is your influence in your own life by your mom or by your wife? I'll tell you this, the greatest thing my mom could have done for me, it's not just washing clothes or, you know, reading my story or sending me to school. And she was hardworking, and she is still a hardworking mom. The greatest thing she had ever done for me that she was faithful to her Lord. She accepts her duty with joy. That shape us. That changes us. The gospel is represented by us. How you do it? Are you encouraged to do it? It's hard. It's not easy. We're not just tricking you into the role, the subordinate role. You have a privileged position in the universe and in the church. May God bless you. Moms, sisters, wives, awesome job. Do the awesome job of representing Christ in your families. Father, we thank you. May you bless us to obey you, to love you, to accept Accept the ministry of people who serve us and to model the gospel to this generation. May our wives would be encouraged, may our moms would be encouraged to raise up generation for Christ. May they be changed. And may the word of God and the gospel may not be dishonored. In Christ's name we pray, amen.